Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Well, since I've uh, updated you this way every week so far, um, good or bad news, depending on your perspective on the last few weeks, there will be no Hitler, no hang gliders, no handguns, no violent references, hopefully whatsoever. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out the podcast uh, because you did not wander into a cult or anything like that today, uh, but you did wander into the middle of a series that we've been in all throughout this past month uh, called Take Back Your Life. And uh, it's been a great start to the year. We're, like I said, three weeks in. We've got a couple more weeks yet to go. Uh, At least for me, I feel like it's been helpful. Hopefully you felt the same if you've been with us. But what we're doing together is we're trying to learn how to think right so that we can live right. Uh, We've said every single week that we want to take back our life from the things that sometimes hold us back or or hang us up. So what we've talked about are some of those like just dysfunctional habits or trends that we can fall into, the, the toxic things that we can pick up along the way, whether that's a habit or a relationship, or as I said, a way of thinking. We're trying to reveal all of that and talk about the habits that we can develop that really help us live life the way that God designed life to work. So since we are a few weeks in and you have all slept since then, I'm gonna give you just a rapid fire recap of where we've been before we jump into where we're going today. So on week one, uh, we said it was a wake up call that all of us need to be awake and aware to the reality that we have one precious life that's been gifted to us. And it's our job actually to guard and to steward that life. We said on week one that our job is to keep ourselves, sometimes even from ourselves, because you are your worst enemy and I'm my worst enemy. You can talk yourself into anything and that's why your Amazon shopping cart looks the way that it does or maybe your front porch looks the way that it does with all the boxes everywhere. Uh, So we said that we have to be intentional to guard ourselves, to, to hold on to the life that we've been gifted with and specifically we talked about two things that we need to guard against, that we need to guard against giving in and we need to guard against giving up, that all of us are tempted to give in, whether it's to distractions or lies about who we are, that that we can give in to thinking in a way that's different than what God wants us to think. And all of us at times are tempted to give up, whether that's giving up control of our lives to something or to someone, or maybe even just giving up altogether because life can be difficult and following Jesus can be difficult. But what we said is that even in the difficult moments of our life, God can still make beauty happen, that God is still redeeming even the most painful of circumstances. So that's week one. Uh, We moved on because once you wake up, one of the first things that has to adjust is your eyesight. So we talked about the things that we see in life. And what we said is that what you see is a big deal because what you see shapes what we believe. The things we see shape the things that we believe and what we believe shapes the way that we behave. So uh, it's a big deal for us to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. And so we talked about how uh, sometimes in life we face pressure and that the pressure that's on the outside of our lives, whether it's the cultural thing or just the stress of life, uh, it has to be matched by a pressure inside of us, that we have to have this inner strength that comes from God to face life together. We talked about uh, trauma and how all of us go through traumatic moments in life, but we have a choice on whether our trauma will leave us bitter or if God will actually fit us with new lenses to see our most painful moments 
as actually redemptive moments, that we can actually get better on the other side of some of our difficulty if we allow God to change us from the inside out. We talked about focus and how uh, it matters what we focus on, that we tend to see more of what we're looking at. And so some of us, we said this year, maybe need to make an adjustment in our focus to focus back on God and to focus back on the light. And then we wrapped all of that week up by talking about the idea of brilliance and not like you're brilliant and you're amazing, although you certainly are, uh, but we talked about it in terms of the brightness that we're supposed to have in our eyes, that God doesn't just want us to see clearly but like drudge through life, but actually we looked at this verse that says that God wants us to live lives that are adventurously expectant, that we should be waiting for God to move, that we should have an excitement about our lives and a vitality about our lives. So that's week two. Last week, uh, we talked about fight or flight mode that all of us tend to naturally go one way or the other. I am not a large man, but I tend towards fight because God has a sense of humor. Uh, But wherever you fall on that spectrum, we said as it relates to our lives, uh, that there's another option, that we can actually respond in faith. And that faith is neither like fight or flight, but it's this different kind of response that we can have. And uh, what we said last week is that for many of us, we need to view uh, our shameful moments in our life through the lens of faith. That shame, if we don't view it in a healthy way, can hold us back and can take our life from us like nothing else. Those painful moments, uh, we defined it where guilt is when we feel bad for something that we've done, which sometimes that can be actually a healthy clarifying thing when we do the wrong thing to own it and to acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness. But shame is where we feel bad because we believe that we are bad. And what we said last week, this is so important, we said that God will never use shame as a motivational tool to try and make you into the person that he wants you to be. Sometimes churches do that. Sometimes Christian leaders do that. Sometimes parents do that, right, in their moments of weakness. But God will never leverage shame as a motivational tool to try and make you in to the kind of person he wants you to be. So what we said last week is that we actually have to have clarity around what we want. That if Jesus walked in the room today, like toga and sandals and all, and he looked you in the eyes and he said, what do you want me to do for you? It's important for us to have an answer, to be willing to admit our need and acknowledge where we want God to show up. So that's where we've been. Uh, This week, I think, might be one of the most important weeks in the whole conversation that we're having because it's right at the heart of what we've been talking about. Uh, We're going to focus on the world of our thoughts today. And like I said, we've tagged the whole series. It's called Take Back Your Life, but we've said it's about thinking right so that we can live right. And the world of our thoughts is a huge deal. It's a really important thing for us to have a handle on how we react to our thoughts. But for many of us, we don't actually spend a lot of time thinking about our thoughts. Right? And that's kind of a weird thing because our thoughts are the things that we think. But we, for most of us, don't like back up far enough to think about where our thoughts are coming from. For many of us, our thoughts are just kind of automatic, right? And, and you think something, and sometimes you say something without thinking, and that's a problem. But, but for many of us, our thoughts, they're just there. It, it just is what it is. Like, I don't know, it popped in my head. It's not my fault. Uh, but have you ever asked somebody to hold their thought? This happens a lot of times when you're like, in a conversation with somebody and maybe they're telling a really amazing story and you're really interested in it, but you've chugged way too much coffee that morning. Not that I'm speaking from experience. Uh, and then you're like, hey, hold that thought, right? Because the coffee has given and now I have to give back the coffee and and off you go to the bathroom. Or maybe uh, you get a phone call or a text from somebody in the middle of a conversation, something really important, and you're like, hey, hold that thought. Okay, I've got to respond to this. Uh, For me, it's always a dilemma because as a pastor and as just a person who wants to follow Jesus and try and be good to other people, uh, I try and be really attentive when I'm meeting with people. And so there's always this dilemma of like, what do I do with my phone? Because this thing gets a lot of my attention, unfortunately. And when I'm meeting with somebody, sometimes I put it face down so that the screen doesn't light up and it doesn't distract me from who's in front of me. 
But if you've ever tried to do that before, there's also this dynamic where there's like the what if thing lingering. Like what if today's the day I get the call, right? And I don't see it. What if it's Publishers Clearinghouse and they're on my front doorstep with a giant check? I don't even know if they do that anymore, but like it can be this thing. But then if it's face up, like it lights up and there's some people in my life that if they call or they text, I'll be like, hey, hold that thought. I've got to respond to this person, right? My wife, I'm like, hey, this is important. I need to respond to it. So anyway, when we do this and we say, hey, hold that thought, it's kind of like a verbal bookmark, right? Like we're like, hey, story's great. Stop right there. I've got to go do something, but I want to come back to this. And isn't it true that like 90% of the time that we ask somebody to hold that thought, they don't do it? Because like you go off and you do your thing and you come back and you're like, okay, where were we? And you get the, uh somewhere around, like, like you maybe get the 10% version of the story, but you wanted the 100%. Uh, it can be hard to hold our thoughts because we're all distracted people and we all are busy people with a lot going on. Uh, when we use those words, we almost always direct it at somebody else. But what I want to do today with our time together is I want to help you see and show how powerful it is if we learn to actually flip the script on that. And if we learn how to hold and control and direct our own thought life. And it's possible, but we'll get there in just a second. To start, uh, I want to share with you some verses from uh, the book of Colossians. And Colossians is found in the New Testament, kind of the back half of the Bible, where there's all kinds of letters that we now call books that were written mostly by a guy named Paul who planted churches all throughout the Mediterranean Rim. And Colossians is an interesting book or letter in the sense that it's written uh, not to a church that Paul planted, but to like a grandson or granddaughter church uh, because the scholars think at least that Paul encountered a couple of guys along the way in his journeys and, and he influenced them and they went back to their hometown of Colossae and started a little home church. But Paul never actually personally visited that church. That he sent these guys out and they started a little faith community and, and then Paul heard about how things were going and he wrote a letter to them. And the thing you need to know about Colossae is uh, it was a small town that used to be a big town. So unlike the other places where Paul visited and wrote to, uh, Colossae used to be this thriving metropolitan area, but at the time that Paul's writing, it shrunk down and the population is small, but there's still evidence of a bigger city, this kind of cosmopolitan feel in this little community. And what that means is there were a lot of different cultural and religious ideas bouncing around for people at the time. And, and Paul wrote this letter to this group of Jesus followers in this town to try and help clarify what thoughts they should hold on to, what thoughts they should welcome into their life, and what thoughts they should dismiss. In his context, this was in the local church, but for us today, it's equally true for our own thought life individually. And here's what Paul says. He says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all of the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We're going to come back to that in a little more detail at the end. There's a ton packed in there, but right out of the gate, I think there's a good gut check for all of us as it relates to our own thought life, because Paul says that we should let the peace that comes from Jesus rule over us, rule over our hearts and also over our minds. And I think it begs the question, like when you think about your thoughts on a day-to-day -day basis, is the end result of your way of thinking peace in your life? If not, Paul would say there's some adjustments we need to make and we're gonna talk about what that looks like all along the way. But what we said throughout the series is that, that 
taking back your life is deeply connected to the way that we think, that, that we can't live right if we don't think right. And so, like Paul goes on and he says, hey, whatever you do or say, you should do it as a representative of Jesus. You should do it as if like you're Jesus showing up in the situation and the things that you do and the things that you say. But where do the things that you and I do and say begin with? Begins with the things that we think, right? Hopefully, before you take an action, you think about it a little bit. Before you say something, you think about it a little bit. We've all spoken without thinking and paid the price for it. But for the most part, we have a thought and then that thought is what turns into an action. And so he's saying, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus. But for us to get that right, it has to start in our mind. It has to start in our thought life. Or another way to say this is that you can't live right while you're thinking wrong. Like you can't live life in the fullness that God wants you to live it in if you're thinking in a way that's not healthy for you, in a way that God doesn't desire for you. And look, I'm so glad that you're here today. Like, really excited. It's really cool to see the room full, really cool to see new faces. So it's so excited that you're here. Uh, but the reality for like Jesus followers or people who are trying to take this seriously is you can show up on a Sunday. You can maybe even like crack open your Bible from time to time or your phone Bible or whatever it is. You can try and do the right motions. But if your mind isn't right, if your thought patterns aren't right, it won't actually lead to the life that God wants for you. Like, I'm glad you're here. Attendance is like step one. But Paul is saying that it goes deeper than that. And I want to be really clear. Like this message of taking back your life that we're going through, it's not your typical new year, new you, try harder, do better, get a little more disciplined kind of message. Uh, because like, I really don't believe that all of the problems in your life or all of the problems in my life come down to mind over matter. It's not just about willpower. It's not just about white knuckling it. It's not just about trying harder. But at the same time, for what we're talking about today, I do believe that although mind over matter isn't the solution to everything, what we allow into our minds does matter in the way that we live and in the end result because we can't love God like we're supposed to if we do it through our attendance, right? Maybe through even a few of our habits, but we never let God direct what's happening in our minds if we don't let him in to the battlefield of our thought life. And so for you, when you think about your thoughts, when you think about what is going on in your mind in a typical week, whether it's external battles, right, some kind of conflict or thing that's just negative between you and somebody else, or an internal struggle, some kind of thought pattern that you're trapped in that you know you don't want to be in, you know it's not God's best for you, our thoughts in both of those situations give us plenty of opportunities to get it wrong, don't they? I mean, it's so easy for us to drift into negativity, and, and this is a big deal because your wrong thoughts and my wrong thoughts can derail us from the path that God wants us to be on. It can direct us in a way where we end up really far from where we wanted to go just because a few negative thoughts tipped us over in the wrong direction. L let me give you like a preschool level illustration of this. I've heard it said that thoughts are like trains. Okay, that's why we call it a train of thought. But, but like, <laughs> it's really kind of a good illustration because if you think about it, before you get on a train, right, before you ride the choo-choo, you want to know where it's going. Right? You want to know the destination. I mean, you can just hop on a random train and you'll end up somewhere. But if you want to end up somewhere on purpose, you have to know where the train is going. The same thing is true for us as it relates to our thoughts. That our thoughts actually lead to destinations. That our thoughts take us somewhere. And if we're not mindful, and if we're not aware, before you know it, you can end up somewhere you didn't intend to be because you followed a line of thinking that you never should have allowed in. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, was a great thinker. I don't think he was a follower of Jesus necessarily, but he had an interesting perspective on life. And, and he said this, he said, if you sow a thought 
you reap an action. If you sow an act, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And you sow a character, and you reap a destiny. His point is what we're talking about, that all the big things in life, that that at the end of your life, if you want to look back and you want to see what your life counted for, it actually all starts with something as small as the thoughts that you and I have every single day, that those thoughts translate into actions for all of us. And over time, those actions become habits that get ingrained in us. And if they get ingrained in us deep enough, it starts to form our character. It starts to shape the nature of who we are. And out of who we are, is where our legacy is going to come from. And so this is a huge deal. I think the point here is that you become more of whatever you're focused on. Right? We talked about that in terms of what we see in week two, uh, but the same thing is true in our thoughts. If you try and think positively, you're more likely to find positivity around you. Not in some like woo-woo, just positive thinking, be better kind of way, but it does impact you. Same is true with negativity. Uh, We all probably know this. If you've ever been stuck in a spot where you're just thinking negative thoughts, isn't it that much easier to find more things to be negative about? When we're stuck in these cycles, you often see more of what you're looking at. And and by the way, this is why uh, your ads show up the way that they do for you on social media. I I know we all ask the question, like, are they listening to our conversations? Is the microphone on? Maybe. I don't know. But what they would tell you is, no, they're not listening to you. There's just this algorithm that's developed that follows your own habits that as you're scrolling through things and as you see things that are interesting to you or searching Google or probably texting your friend, like your data's out there, I hate to tell you, but uh, like whatever, they're looking at what you're doing and based on your behavior, the ads will pop up that reflect the things that you're already looking for and and then when they get you and you click on it, like for me, it's Shop Disney, okay? Like uh, I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see all these Star Wars things and they're all amazing and and I scroll through them and I'm like, man, I want all of that And, and sometimes if in a moment of weakness, I tap into it, maybe not even to buy it, right? I'm just like, how much does that cost? If I tap into that, I'm gonna see that very same item for a month until I break down and buy it. Because like they see, hey, he likes this, and so they're like, let's give him some more of it. That's the way that our thought life can work. The way that we think often shapes the things that we see, and here's the bottom line. Here's the take back your life point of today. When it comes to your thoughts, and when it comes to my thoughts, we have a choice. We have a choice in the matter. Uh, You can actually take your life back through taking your thoughts back. And here's the thing. We can't change what we think necessarily, right? You can't just delete a thought. If you think it, it happened. But we can choose if we, how long we allow it to remain there. We can choose how long we hold on to the thoughts that we have. And if you're here and you feel like you're trapped in some cycles of negative thinking, the good news, but maybe the demanding news on you and on me today, is that in this case, freedom is an inside job because we're the ones who choose the thoughts that we hold on to and how much attention we give them. You can never delete a thought, but you can replace a thought. You can't delete a thought, but you can replace it with something else. And Paul actually wrote a different letter where he talked about this to a group of Jesus followers. It's found uh, in 2 Corinthians. I think it's going to say 1 Corinthians on the screen because I messed up. But 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, Paul says this. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, Actually, I'm going to pause for a second. That's a whole nother sermon or series probably in and of itself. But there's a good gut check for us today, right? Like the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So, so that means like if I log on to your Facebook page right now, there should be some kind of a difference there, right? Like some, we got to print that thing off and put it on your phone screen or put it on your computer. And just remember, like if you're a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't look like everybody else. 
but I'll end that rant for now and keep going. He says that on the contrary, the weapons that we have access to have divine power to demolish strongholds, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's the famous part of this verse. He says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. So, so Paul's saying, like, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you believe Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus really rose from the dead, that he really has that power, and not only has that in and of himself, but he extended that power to you. He tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in every single Jesus follower. And he's saying it's the power that has the ability to demolish strongholds. And that sounds really big and lofty, but basically he's talking about how our minds can sometimes feel like a prison if we get trapped in negative thinking. He's saying the power of God at work in you actually has the ability to tear those things down if we choose to take captive our thoughts and to make them obedient to Jesus' leadership over our life. You can actually put your thoughts in a holding cell. And I was thinking about that. And I remember this experience I had with TSA uh, this past fall. So my wife and I and my daughter had the opportunity to uh, fly down to Disney and to uh, hang out, have an amazing week in Florida. It was awesome. Uh, But it was the first time that my daughter had flown. She's four years old. And so we figured out this wonderful thing that you can actually take a car seat onto an airplane. And, And so it's all safe and they buckle in and it made it for a very like easy, content flight for her. Happy Eden equals happy mom equals happy dad, okay? So we're like, we're taking the car seat. I wasn't smart enough to realize that I had like a rolling suitcase that I could have just set it on. So instead, through the whole airport, I'm like hoofing it dad style, like, get out of my way. And by the end, like my arm's shaking. But anyway, uh, we got there fine. We had a great week and we were on our way back and uh, arrived at Orlando International Airport. I don't know if you've ever flown out of Orlando or really anywhere other than Indianapolis, but Orlando does not have it together like Indianapolis has it together. Like, it, it was rough, and we got there. I thought we had plenty of time, and then I saw the TSA check line, and it was, like, getting longer by the minute. It was doing the zigzag thing. And I'm like, oh, no, because the TSA line is, like, my personal punishment, okay? It, it, like, if somebody wants to punish me, put me in that line, because you just stand there, and you're like a sardine, right, packed in with all these people, and you maybe move one person per half hour. And, and so, like, we're standing there, and I'll bury all my stress about it, but I, I was watching the clock, because I'm like, we've got to get on the flight, like, We do have a boarding time and it's ticking away the longer we wait in this line. But eventually we get through. Uh, I have the car seat still with me. Uh, We go through like the metal detector thing and I go to put my backpack on the little conveyor belt thingy to get scanned and that goes fine. And then I go to put the car seat on there and I realize once again that Orlando is not Indianapolis because in Indianapolis, uh, when we were getting on the flight, I just put the car seat on the conveyor belt thingy and it went whoop and went right through and there were no weapons or drugs or whatever and off we went and we had a great vacation. When I was on my way back, Orlando's little scanner thingy is a little scanner thingy. And so I put the car seat up there and I'm like, that thing's not going through there. And so I'm like, what do I do? And I turn to warm, friendly, cheerful TSA man who looks kind of like Eminem. And I was like, hey, sir, what do I do with this? He goes, put it down. I'm like, like here? Because every instinct I've ever been taught is to not leave things unattended in airports, right? That's how you end up in the little side room talking to people that you don't want to have to talk to. So I'm like, like right here? And he's like, yeah, just put it down. So I put it down. I finish my check. We get our bags on the other side. Ashley goes through. Eden goes through. All is well, except the car seat's just sitting there. And now I've gone through security, right? And I'm standing there and I'm like, I need that to get on the plane that time is ticking away for. And, and so I try and get Eminem's attention again. And I'm like, hey, like, 
that's my car seat. And the line's still going, like all the people are moving past. I'm like, I need that. And, and it, I'll, again, I'll spare you the details. It took like three or four interactions with really friendly TSA people. And uh, finally, this one really friendly lady picked up uh, the car seat and she took it and she like did the hand check on it. And what do you know? Still no weapons, still no drugs. Off we go, we made it back. My point in sharing that story is that that's what we can do to our thoughts. Right, that car seat was held captive. <laughs> I was on one side and I can't go back through that scanner. You don't wanna not listen to TSA, okay? They're nice people and they can do not nice things to you. So I, I was like, I need that, but it was held captive, it was locked up. And the reality is that's what we can do to negative thoughts. That's what we can do to thoughts that don't lead us in the direction that God wants us to go. We can actually hold them captive. We can put them in their rightful place. And do you know why people like TSA workers or or like if you've ever gone through a metal detector, or, or if you remember back in 2020 when there were dots on the floor of every restaurant and they told you where you could and could not stand. Do you know why those people did those types of things? Because they had the authority to tell us what we had access to. Because they were in control of the situation. And because they were in control, they were able to tell us where we could go and where we could not go. And here's what I hope you get today. Your thoughts don't have to be the ones in control. You have control over your thoughts. Your thoughts don't have to be the boss of you. You can actually tell your thoughts where to go. And, and again, it's kind of like what we talked about with the things that we see in life. It's a matter of where you allow yourself to focus. And if you allow yourself to just stay in negative cycles, man, you're gonna stay in a negative life, right? If, if you stay in the stuck place, you're just gonna stay there. And it's gonna keep you from the life that God wants for you. Here's a reality that I've found to be true. It's that you can't live a life that's marked by worship and by worry at the same time. It, it is impossible to worship God and to worry about whatever you're worrying about at the same time. Uh, and listen, I know saying like, hey, don't worry is the worst advice ever to give somebody who's worried because it's like, thanks, I wouldn't if I could help it. Uh, but ultimately, if you drill down on what worry is, when worry gets a hold of our lives, when we're caught in an anxious thought pattern, worry is ultimately about control. Right? We want to be able to control the outcome of a situation that we ultimately don't have control over. And so we worry and we ruminate and we try and figure it out and it just gets stuck there. But worship, responding to who God is, it's all about giving up control. It's all about surrendering and understanding who is ultimately in control over everything and that's God himself. So we can't worry and try and hold on to control and worship and surrender control at the same time and holding your thoughts, taking them captive, is ultimately about remembering who is ultimately in charge, who you can ultimately trust, and that's God himself. And maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, that's amazing. Like, that's why I gave my life to Jesus, right? I believe that he is who he says he is and he has control over my life. And so, so I gave my life to him in a pivotal moment in my story. And, and that's incredible. But making this decision is not a one-time decision. It, it's not a one and done. But the idea of taking our thoughts captive is an everyday, every thought decision that we have to make over and over and over again. And Paul gives us some help on the other side of the equation. Like if we're supposed to take our negative thoughts and take them captive and make them obedient to Jesus' rule over our lives, then what do we replace them with, right? If we can't delete it, but we can replace it, what do we replace it with? Paul said this in his letter to the church at Philippi. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. See, it's like spelled out right there. If you want to take control and take back your life over your thoughts, Paul literally says, think about these things. Think about what's true. Think about what's right. Think about what's admirable and lovely and excellent. Like there's a whole laundry list. And for a lot of us, you might need to print this list out or put it on your phone background again. And like when you're trying to evaluate, hey, is this a good thought or not a good thought? Run it through the list. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Does it honor God? For some of us, I get it. Like we've been living in certain patterns for so long. It's like the grooves worn in on the record and we're just like running around in the same pattern over and over again. And if that's true, then like, here's what I want you to know. It's not like you'll just walk out of here today and be like, wow, I came to church and I heard something new and it's all gone. Like some of those patterns have been created in our lives for a long, long time and it's gonna take a while to change them. But here's the beautiful thing about the way that God made our brains to work and the way that our thoughts work. Our thoughts actually create patterns. They create grooves in our life, if you want to think of it in that way. But if you have a pattern that you don't like that you're caught in, you can actually create new patterns. The sciencey word is neuroplasticity. It means your brain can change. And, and what that means is that over time, as you think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, you'll start creating new pathways for your brain to operate in. You'll start creating new habits, and you can take back your life by taking back your thoughts. And my point today is every time that we have a thought where the outcome could go one way or another, we're the ones who choose. We're the ones who choose what train we get on and where we end up along the way. Or maybe another way to say that is that the thoughts that you hold on to will determine the future that you head to. The thoughts that you choose to live in ultimately become the space that you live out of. Right? The thoughts that you hold on to determine the future that you head into. So again, this is a big deal for us to get. And just as we wrap up today, I want to kind of set it on the bottom shelf and make it as practical as I possibly can because taking captive of a thought sounds like a good idea, but they're slippery little things and it's hard to actually understand what it means to hold on to our thought life. And so two steps that we can take to actually do this. The first thing we need to do is we need to recognize it. We need to actually think about our thoughts. We need to be mindful of why we think the things that we think of where our thoughts are actually coming from. You should be aware of the source. And for many of us, we just operate by default, right? We just go through life. We're busy. There's a lot happening. And so we're just like, thought, 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 thought. And we never stop to think about where they're coming from. But we have to learn to examine the thoughts that enter into our minds. Because we can't always control what enters into our minds, but we can control how long we hold on to those things. We can head, 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 head. as I go throughout my day? Is it some kind of cultural pressure that you feel? Maybe to have the same stuff as all of the rest of them have? To live up to whatever standard you see when you scroll through Instagram? Is it some kind of a cultural script that tells you you ought to be somewhere different than where you are right now in life? Is it advertising that tells you to be dissatisfied with what you have and, and to pursue something else? Or that you're, it's, all about, it's, all about, it's, all about, it's all about external things and not about the character that you develop? Uh, are you listening to the outrage outlet, I mean, news outlets all the time, right? And is that voice louder in your head, whichever side you want to listen to? Is that voice speaking louder in your life than the voice of God in your life? Is it your unwise friend 
who, who maybe they're giving you advice, but if you follow that train, you know where it's going to end up, but it's, it's in your head. Is it your past hurt that's still speaking so loud? It, it tells you you're disqualified or tells you you can't be anything other than what you already are. We have to pay attention to who we're listening to really. And, and if it doesn't pass the test, right, if it's not true, if it's not noble, if it's not pure, if it's not admirable, if it's not from God, then we need to turn the volume down on those voices so that God's voice can be the loudest voice in our head and can direct us. So again, we have to recognize where our thoughts are coming from. And then on the other side of it, we can't delete our negative thoughts, but we can replace them. If you find that you're listening to incredible sources and things are amazing, keep doing it, right? Wear that groove into your mind. But if you find things that you don't wanna be there, we have to replace it. You can't unthink something, but you can replace what you think and you don't have to dwell on it. And what we can all learn how to do is to actually tell the truth to our thoughts. That we will have thoughts, but we can respond to our thoughts by telling the truth back to them. So for example, if you have distracting thoughts that are like telling you to go this way when you know you ought to go that way, you can remind yourself of what's true. Like, no, 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 this is where God wants me to go. If you're at work and you're like, man, I gotta scroll right now and post my selfie or whatever, like, you can say, no, 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 right? Everything I do, everything I say, I'm gonna do it as if I'm doing it for Jesus and so I'm gonna honor him with excellence and I'm gonna focus and I'm gonna do my job. If you struggle with judgmental thoughts, right? You see somebody and you just make a snap judgment about who they are or what they're like, you can control what you do with that thought. You can dwell on it, you can assume you're right and you'll break relationship or you could approach the person. You could actually get to know them and find out if you're right. Like you can test your thoughts in that way. You can tell the truth to your thoughts. And some of the most dangerous thoughts that we allow it to stay in our minds, this kind of connects to that conversation about shame. It's when we hold on to condemning thoughts, specifically about ourselves. It's when we start to believe that we're broken or that we're unlovable or that we're too far gone for God to use us. And friends, I want like, to share with you uh, what Paul wrote in the book of Romans that speaks directly to this idea. If you feel like you're too broken to be used by God, if you feel like the pain that you've experienced is too much, here's what Paul said to Jesus' followers. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That if you have condemning thoughts that are the loudest voice in your head, those thoughts aren't from God because there's no condemnation in Jesus. There's no condemnation from your heavenly father who made you in his image and wants to have a relationship with you. So to tell the truth to those types of thoughts, what we can do instead is replace it with who we are in Jesus. And there's a whole laundry list throughout scripture that talks about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus and the impact that it has on our life. And I'm just gonna like rapid fire run through some of it. And if it's you today, like if you're struggling with this idea that you're unworthy, that you're unlovable, that you've been condemned. Man, hear these words, not from me, but from your heavenly father who says that you're his child, that you can be a friend of Jesus, that you've been justified, that you've been set into a right relationship with him, that you can be united with Jesus and be one in spirit with him, that you're actually a member of Jesus' body, that you were chosen by God, that you were adopted as his child, that you've been redeemed, that you've been forgiven, that you are complete, in Jesus, that you have direct access to God through the grace of Jesus active in your life, that God actually works all things for good regardless of your circumstances right now, uh, that you are hidden with Jesus in the life of God, that God will complete the good work that he started, that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control, 
that you are God's temple, right? You're the place where God chooses for his spirit to dwell, that you're his workmanship, that you're his masterpiece, that you can do anything through Jesus who strengthens you. I mean, that's just like a glossing over the surface view of who you are in Christ, of the power that's available to all of us. And so what we need to learn to do is if we have those negative thoughts, we have to learn to replace them with the truth, to challenge our thoughts with the truth. And man, there is power in going through the act of asking a clarifying question. If you don't know what I mean by a clarifying question, uh, there's one that I think about often in my leadership life. I heard this from Pastor Andy Stanley, who's a great leader and and mentor. Uh, But he talked about, like, if he's ever making a difficult decision as a leader and he just feels stuck, you know, you get in those moments in life where you're stuck and you don't know what the right thing to do is. He says he'll ask himself this question, what would a great leader do? Right, like we all are really close to our situation and there's all the emotion and all the complexity and all the, oh my gosh, what do I do? But he just asks like, hey, what would a great leader do in this situation? Another way I've heard this line of thinking go is like, if you answer to a board or a boss, I mean, all of us have one of those, right? He asks sometimes like, what if I got fired today and the new CEO came in tomorrow? What are the first things that they would do that I don't have the courage to do? And the clarity that that question brings is, why don't I just do those things, right, without the firing, because that's the unpleasant part. So in the pursuit of taking back your life and leading yourself well and getting control of your thoughts, what if you started asking a similar clarifying question? And you asked, what would a person who glorifies God do in whatever situation you're facing? What would a person who's following Jesus do in this situation? So for example, when somebody offends you and you just want to sit on that offense and stew on it and be bitter and be angry, what would a person who's following Jesus do? Well, according to Jesus, they would turn the other cheek, right? They would actually go the extra mile in service of this person. They would love and they would pray for their enemies. You know, that person that you just can't help but be judgmental towards. You can stay stuck in the pattern of complaining about them and putting them down and blasting them on social media or whatever your thing is, but what would a person who's following Jesus do? They would probably try and establish a relationship and get to know them and see them through the image of God alive and at work in them, right? Like, like, do you judge the situation or do you engage the person? What would a person who follows Jesus do? It can be incredibly clarifying. And do you remember where we started this whole conversation? In Colossians, Paul wrote this. He said, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I love the language of that. The idea that like Jesus' very words, the very power and promise of who Jesus is and what he's done can live among you richly. There's another translation called the message that says it in this way. It says, let the word of God have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. As we're talking about our thought life, does God have the run of the house or has some other voice turned up louder? Like how much room have you allowed for God to speak into your thoughts, for God to speak in to those patterns that are happening in your brain day in and day out? And what if, you let his voice become the loudest voice because you submitted all of the other thoughts. You took them captive and you made them obedient to Jesus's voice at work in your life. I think if we do it, we'll take back our life. If we do it, it'll change the way that we experience life. It'll change the way that we treat one another because instead of living in competition and comparison to one another, if we take captive those thoughts, we'll see opportunities to bless and to love one another as we value the image of God in every single person. In those moments where we face adversity, if we do this, 
man, instead of letting our circumstances impact our faith in God, we can let our faith in God shape how we view our circumstances. And even in the most difficult things, it's, they can be painful, right? That's allowed. It can be difficult. That's expected. But it doesn't have to rock the foundation of our faith if we take captive our thoughts and we submit them to who Jesus is and what he's promised. In the world of anxiety, you would do what Paul says and you would experience less worry and we would experience more peace. And at the end of the day, that's what God wants for you and what God wants for me. To take back your life, God wants you to experience peace and wholeness instead of spending exorbitant amounts of mental energy stuck in old and broken patterns. So what if we did this? What if we learned to turn down the volume on the things that aren't leading us in the place where God wants us to go and instead we turned up the volume on his voice at work in our lives? Let me pray for you. God, this is one of those things that's easy to talk about, maybe even easy to see, that we, we do have the power to control our thoughts, but God, it is difficult to do. And so God, I pray for the person here today who, if they're honest with themselves, they're like, man, I'm stuck in some negative patterns. I am stuck in negative patterns, and, and the train I'm on, the train of thought is not leading me to the life I want. And God, I pray for them that you would help them recognize where those voices, where those thoughts are actually coming from. And if they need to turn down the volume on some of those voices, give them the courage and the discipline to do so. And God, give all of us the clarity and the ability to turn up the volume on your voice in our life so that we could see whatever is true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy and beautiful, not only in our lives, but in our world. And in so doing, that we would reflect the heart of your son towards everybody that we meet. God, help us to take back our lives this week by taking control of our thoughts. Help us take captive of thoughts and submit them to you. And help us to think about the things that you want us to think about, ultimately, so that we can live the lives that you want us to live. We pray and ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.